Lone Star Gun Talk is a Lone Star Gun Rights production. Original music and hosted by Derek Wills. Copyright Lone Star Gun Rights 2019. Alright Lone Star Gunners, welcome to the podcast. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, the official podcast of Lone Star Gun Rights, and I am your host, as always, Derek Wills. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I must apologize for the brief hiatus that, uh, that I took uh, for the past two weeks I haven't done the show, um, but I'm back now, and uh, it seems that there is, uh, well, there I guess no worse time to really get into it uh what's everybody is well aware of the new zealand tragedy and um it's it's a it's a travesty it's it's a it's incredibly sad and uh, you know i i my heart goes out to everybody that uh was affected by that and there's a lot of things that uh, anti-gunners are jumping on board with. There's a lot that uh, pro-gunners are doing that should probably be best kept in check. Um, and I- I'm going to break a, a, a long-standing rule that I've had, uh, and that is usually whenever there's an incident like this, I don't, um, I don't bring up the 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 shooter's name i don't bring up anything that they had to say because most of the time it's because um they are wanting uh they are wanting fame they are wanting their face all over everything um and their means of gaining celebrity is to um it is to commit a massive tragedy like this i'm breaking this rule this time because of the fact that I read the manifesto that he put out and uh, he flat out says that he does not seek fame. He doesn't want fame because it doesn't matter. And why would I believe somebody like that? Because somebody like that has nothing to lose. Somebody like that has nothing to hide. And so lying about something like that would be... uh, and well, it just would not make uh, it wouldn't make any sense to put it in the easiest way possible. Um, it's it would uh, anyway. I'm uh, there's a, I'm going to cover a lot of what's going on in the manifesto, and um, I'm also going to cover uh, s- some other things. I, I had originally planned to. Um, to cover all of the lies that are that are presented by uh, anti-gun groups, such as Moms Demand Action, um, but it's uh, it, it, and I'm gonna go into a little bit of that. But the, this whole tragedy kind of shook that whole thing up. Um, so let's get into his. Um, Let's get into his manifesto. This is his manifesto entitled, uh, if I can get to it. Um, hang on just one second. There we go. Uh, the Great Replacement is what it's entitled. And um, the Great Replacement towards a new society we march ever forward. Um, and I his introduction is all about it's the birth rates and basically what he's saying is that people who are not white are have have a much higher birth rate they are having more children than people who are white and his entire attack was incredibly racially motivated and he says as much and his concern was right here this is white genocide basically by whites not having as many children um 
whites will become a minority race and be overtaken by uh, by blacks, by, by Arabs, by uh, Orientals, uh, you name it, whites will become the minority. And he wrote uh, this whole section about answering possible questions. Um, I suspect as much because, one, he fully, he didn't intend to die as a result of this attack, and he didn't. But should that have happened, he wanted to be able to answer all of the questions that people could have had as a result. And um, th this is probably the most telling thing. You know, first question, who are you? Just an ordinary white man, 28 years old, born in Australia to a working low-income family. Um, there's not much to it. He's nobody really special. And then when asked why he carried out the attack, the attack it had a lot to do with uh, vengeance towards Muslims who have carried out travesties and, and awful acts uh, towards Christians and whites, well, mainly whites, because he's not a Christian, um, but who have taken out various violent acts against uh, Europeans, uh, whites, Euro white Europeans throughout the world. And uh, finally, he gets to this, Finally, to cre create conflict between the two ideologies within the United States on the ownership of firearms in order to further the social, cultural, and political and racial divide within the United States. This conflict over the Second Amendment and the attempted removal of firearms rights will ultimately result in a civil war that will eventually balkanize the U.S. along political, cultural, and most importantly, racial lines. This balkanization of the U.S. will not only result in the racial, racial separation of the people within the United States, ensuring the future of the white race on the North American continent, but also ensuring the death of the, quote, melting pot pipe dream. Um, he sought that this attack would create division in the United States. And a lot of what I am seeing uh, from both pro-gun rights and pro-gun control individuals is that very thing. Um, I, there is one thing that is that I see a lot of pro-gunners doing, and it's it's driving me crazy. And that is they are posting links to um, to various articles showing to, talking about uh, the slaughter of Christians. Um, in another uh, in another country, basically giving credence to this maniac's argument. And the reason I take exception to that is not because I don't agree with the premise. I I understand what they are what people are trying to do, and that is that they really, really want to show the double standard in the media, how they are now doing wall-to-wall -wall coverage on this attack but never even gave an honorable mention to uh, when Christians are slaughtered in another country. And, but the problem is the target. So that act of, uh, of highlighting the problems and the double standards within the media is only going to resonate with people who are already like-minded. And that does us no good. You're never going to convince anybody who is of the left of anything illogical or irrational or any sort of double standard. And the reason behind that is the left is always, always, always in a uh, in an emotional style of thinking. Uh, I have said it before that whenever you are thinking emotionally, it is impossible to think logically. They are the they are antithetical means of thinking. You cannot combine the two. You cannot say this is an emotional issue and we're going to approach it with emotion and logic. You cannot do that because people of the left are always driven by emotion. What they are going to see is that the person than the people posting these links is either doing one of two things, either justifying the attack in New Zealand or 
they are uh, sympathetic to the cause, even if they disagree with uh, the the attack in and of itself. You are giving credence to the guys, the maniacs. Um, motives you were giving credence to that and that emotionally charges them as they are already and what happens is i mean you're never going to win them over to begin with one us and leftists do not share a common foundation nor do we share a common goal it, it would be like saying you know if you're arguing over the the weekly budget for groceries okay you have a common foundation where is okay we have this set amount of money and the common goal is to save as much as possible but with some give and take on what is necessary and what is not common foundation common goal but if you're trying to talk with somebody who believes that the sky is green and you are saying that the sky is blue you can throw all the facts at them in the world showing that the sky is indeed blue and they will n it will not resonate with them because they are on a completely different plane than you are. And as a result, you will never reach a consensus. You will never be able to reach even a compromise. And that is why you cannot argue with leftists. You will never convince them to come over to our side. Who we need to convince to come over to our side is the average American who might be quasi or apolitical most of the time, might turn on the news every once in a while, uh, might have a mixture of voting Democratic, Republican, whatever. Those people rely on sound arguments, but the reason that there is one thing, and credit where it's due, there is one thing the left is incredibly good at and that is marketing their message. The reason is because it is so rooted in emotion and devoid of logic. Emotion resonates with people. Emotion is intriguing to people. Um, that's why whenever you see Sarah McLaughlin on the commercials for the dogs, they're showing all of the dogs that, have, that are going through hardships, and you never see any happy endings at the end. Um, and you never see the logic on how your donation will help. They show the raw emotion. You can help by just donating 13 cents a day or whatever it is. Because emotion sells. That's why the news media is always covering things that have to do with emotion. That's why every time they talk about things like taxes, they throw an emotional aspect into it. The wealthy 1% are keeping you down. They are preventing you from... Uh, achieving your goals. They are hindering you in some way. They emotionally charge it. And that is why they are so good at marketing. That is, that, that is the quintessential difference between liberals and conservatives is that they are emotionally charged and emotion sells. Whenever the left sees gun rights advocates posting up things like, uh, see this incident that happened, you know, Two weeks ago, a month ago, yesterday, four years ago, in country Y, um, and the media is not touching it, that instantly gets spun against us. And as a result, whenever somebody who is an average American looks at this as objectively as they can, they see what the left wants them to see. The way to win this argument and I hate to, to really use this as uh, this language because it's like it's a game, and it's not. I, I firmly believe that the absolute, you know, the future of our country and the future of liberty is at stake. I'm honestly incredibly surprised that liberty is not already fully dead and that our society has not collapsed, but that's a whole other thing. The way that you win those people over is to... Make it to where there cannot be an emotional charge attached to it. I read this guy's manifesto, and I, I, I hate calling him a guy. I hate saying him. I hate saying that. I hate referring to him as a human being because he is a parasitic subhuman monster that uh, isn't fit 
or qualified to breathe the same air as us. But he has given us the means by which we prevent further division in our country because he has laid out that that was his motive was to further divide us. So what this means, going back here to this, he says here, going down, uh, why did you target these people? For how long did you plan this attack? Why did you choose to use firearms? I could have chosen any weapons or means. A TATP-filled rental van, household flour, a method of dispersion and an ignition source, a ball-peen hammer, a wooden shield, gas, fire, vehicular attacks, plane attacks, any means were available, and I had the resources. I chose firearms for the effect it would have on social discourse, the extra media coverage they would provide, and the effect it could have on the politics of the United States, and thereby the political situation of the world. The U.S. is torn into many factions by its Second Amendment, along state, cultural, and most importantly, racial lines. With enough pressure, the left wing within the United States will seek to abolish the Second Amendment, and the right wing within the U.S. will see this as an attack on their very freedom and liberty. This attempted abolishment, abolishment, uh, sorry, abolishment of uh, rights by the left will result in a dramatic polarization of the people within the United States and eventually a fracturing of the U.S. along cultural and racial lines. Now, we have to prevent that from happening. We have to prevent that divide from happening. And... The way that we can do that is whenever the media is saying, this guy did this because of X, this guy is a right-wing extremist, you can use the words of his manifesto because he addresses his politics, and you can say this, the media is, doesn't have any credit. The media is unable, to, they're not telling you the truth, and that can bring people to our side. I was asked the question when having this a debate with, with a friend who um, said, well, you know, whenever the media is, I mean, how do we, how do we, what, they have 24-hour wall-to-wall coverage, how do we get on board, or how do we, when is a good time for us to highlight the, tra the tragedies that when they happen, or even when, you know, months ago from years ago how, when do we get the the right to highlight the double standard in the media and that is unfortunately it's when they happen whenever they are talking about a tragedy like new zealand and you are trying to sh divert and say look over here this wasn't reported on you look like you don't care and when you look like you don't care the average American can very easily be turned against us and they can say these people only care about their little guns and they want to feel like big men so I guess I guess the left is right because at least they're the ones who who even acknowledge that it was a tragedy and they're the ones who are proposing actual solutions quote unquote well we all know that to be false but the messaging is there because that's what the left does best. So you need to discredit the media whenever they are reporting on something that is active. And then you need to further discredit the media when they're not reporting on something like they should. So if two, three months from now, a year from now, there is an attack on Christians or Euro white Europeans or Americans or whomever, doesn't matter if it doesn't fit the leftist agenda in the media where they would otherwise report on a 24-7 wall-to-wall coverage, you can highlight that and say, hey, this is an incident that happened that is equally, if not more tragic than what happened in New Zealand, and it is getting ignored. Um, uh, and that will help bring people over to our side of things. But by, by posting up the hypocrisy now, whenever the event is still 
considered active. It only makes us look bad. I'm going to go into a little bit more here on this because um, I'm going to go into exactly the things that we should be highlighting. Um, if he considers it a terrorist attack. Yes, by definition, it is a terrorist attack, but I believe it is a partisan action against an occupying force. Um, he goes in and asks, or it asks himself, race, uh, was the attack racist in origin? Fertility rates are innately tied to race, so yes, there was a racial component to the attack. Um, a lot of people see that the media is trying to pin this on Donald Trump. Um, and they are calling him a Nazi. They are calling him a right-wing extremist. Well, here is some... Here is his own words against that very thing. Are you a nationalist? Yes, predominantly an ethno-nationalist. I place importance on health and well-being of my race above all others. Are you a Nazi? No. Actual Nazis do not exist. They haven't been a political or social force anywhere in the world for more than 60 years. Were, uh, are you an anti-Semite, uh, neo-Nazi? Are you a conservative? No. Conservatism uh, is corporatism in disguise. I want no part of it. Despite the fact that that statement is fundamentally flawed and untrue, uh, that gives insight into his thinking. So whenever somebody says that he is right-wing, you can say, uh, no, he says that he doesn't like conservatism. Um, are you a fascist? Yes, for once, the person that will be called a fascist is an actual fascist. I am sure the journalists will love that. Will love that. I mostly agree with Sir Oswald Mosley's views and consider myself an eco-fascist by nature. The nation with the closest political and social values to my own is the People's Republic of China. Well, there's more credence to the fact that he's not right-wing, and it's the fact that um, he identifies with China, with the People's Republic of China. They are not a right-wing nation. They are a um, one-party, dictatorial, authoritarian state uh, that is somewhat quasi-communist, um, but there's some more here that can be gone into. Um, are you left-wing, depending on the definition? Sure. Are you right-wing, depending on the definition? Sure. Are you a socialist, depending on the definition? Worker ownership of the means of production? It depends on those who, uh, on who those workers are, their intents, who currently owns the means of production, their intents, and who currently owns the state and its intents. Um, so this is actually somewhat out of the Communist Manifesto because he's talking about uh, the difference between workers and the means of production. That's a very Marxist phrase, means of production. Uh, a lot of Marxists like to go into how uh, labor is a, in, inherently the exploitation of the worker for the benefit of the means of production, and that is why capitalism is bad. This guy was not pro-capitalist in any way, uh, which gives further credence to the fact that he is not of the right-wing persuasion. Um, and, you know, I'm going to show something off here in a bit uh, that I don't have prepared, so you'll have to bear with me whenever I do get to it. Um, uh, uh, going back to this, um, yeah, are you a supporter of Donald Trump? As a symbol of renewed white identity and common purpose? Sure. As a policymaker and leader? Dear God, no. Um... And then it's asked, by living in New Zealand, says he's Australian, weren't you an immigrant yourself? Yes, and it seems we immigrants seem to bring a whole lot, a whole host of issues. Nah, not really. An Australian living in New Zealand is much the same as an Australian, or as an Austrian living in Bavaria. They aren't going to ethnically replace the people nor change the nation's culture. They are the same people, they are the same culture. It's not exactly true. Um, it is in his mind. Uh, but I promise that if you are, to, uh, his whole argument here is essentially 
that white people have the same culture, blacks have the same culture as blacks, etc. Um, but I can promise you that if somebody from France or England comes over to the United States, they're not going to share the same cultural beliefs that we do. Um, we are we are European descendants, sure. I'm talking about white Americans here, obviously, for the sake of this sicko's um, uh, manifesto. So white British or white French or white German uh, people, Europeans, white Europeans immigrating to the United States would not have the same culture. Even if you, if you, if a Frenchman immigrates to the UK or to Germany, there is different cultures there. So this guy's fundamentally flawed. Now, this is not to say that I believe him to be crazy. He was perfectly sane from a pure, purely from a mental standpoint. I think he's, he's, uh, a sicko. I think he is a disgusting, evil human being, but he was perfectly in control of his faculties. He knows what he was doing. He had, he, it's not like he's hearing voices talking to him saying, oh yeah, uh, the voices in my head did it. He's, he's not crazy. He is perfectly sane. He's just evil. Um, and there's, there's another point here that I want to highlight, further giving credence that he is not a right winger. Um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, is there a person that radicalized you the most? No, that's not it. Freedom fighters. Uh, let me see here. Are you a homophobe? There was something. You'll have to forgive me. Anyway, it, it is talking about his uh, his beliefs and how long... I'm going to transition over here so you don't have to watch me scrolling. Um, he's talking about his beliefs and, and his evolution, so to speak, um, and how uh, he became... Oh, here we go. Uh, sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Did you always hold these views? No. When I was young, I was a communist, then an anarchist, and finally a libertarian before coming to be an eco-fascist. Um, so those are all pretty much antithetical positions. Um, there is... There, you, you cannot be a communist and then change to being a libertarian. Uh, it, it's... I'm going to pull this up because I'm going to, it, it perfectly illustrates exactly what, why these are antithetical positions. Uh, you cannot have uh, the, you, you just, here we go. Okay. So transitioning over here. Okay, so this is the political triangle, and you see here, you have the three points. Communism is one point, individualism is another point, and absolutism is another point. So communism is obviously a, of the left, right? Uh, you have the leg that goes from communism to individualism, uh, as being a form of republicanism, from communism to absolutism, uh, being totalitarianism and from absolutism to individualism being Darwinism. Um, now, a lot of people wonder where I consider myself to fall. Uh, and after studying this a great deal, uh, I would say that I put myself slightly more center than the anarcho-capitalism point, which is basically right at the individualist point, uh, the very tip point. Um, where it ultimately is anarchy. I, uh, my personal beliefs are that anarchy is an unsustainable, uh, unsustainable model. It doesn't it, like communism. It does not, or even socialism. It does not account for human nature. But that's a whole another philosophical discussion that we could have. Uh, you know, some other time. 
communism would be Marxist Leninism, Stalinism, socialism, uh, all of those being of the left, including progressivism. And what's interesting is you see this kind of sub triangle here, uh, can, can, contained within that runs along the republicanist uh, side of things, runs about halfway between them, and then goes down to the center of the triangle. And here you have democracies, and this triangle is considered, this sub-triangle is considered mainstream politics. You have libertarian over here, which is kind of uh, towards the anarcho-capitalism portion. Uh, you have progressivism, which is more towards the Marxist, Leninist, uh, and socialist aspects of things. And what's really interesting is you have this line that goes right up here that separates the left from the right. And then another line that separates into kingdoms, which would be monarchs, fascists, uh, Hitler, czarism, um, and things like that. You can see that George Bush uh, is slightly right of the center line between left and right. And Obama is slightly left of the center line of left and right. And I, I find this to be quite accurate. Uh, you have uh, Nigel Farage over here. Um, which is far more towards the libertarian side of things, Ron Paul over here. Um, and you can see that what's really funny is Pat Buchanan is kind of right in the center, and it kind of makes sense because you have all of the other um, things. So if he is saying that he started off as a communist, so he was a Marxist-Leninist, socialist-communist over here, well, libertarianism takes up this whole section of the triangle, this whole other point, and it is the individualist point. Communist has to do with community, and so you cannot have individualism and community uh, be, this, be you know, combined. That's, they're antithetical positions. And much like communism, because, because communism is of the community, absolutism is also not compatible. It is another antithetical point in that uh, in absolutism, there is no such things as uh, community. You have, it's totally class warfare. It is totally, you have your uh, your kings, your nobles, your knights, your, uh, you know, whatever. You have your royal bloodline, so to speak. And so you can't have that in a communist state because in communism, the whole theory behind it is that it is for the collective good, as in everybody is equal. Well, if you have subverting classes, as in is the case with absolutists, uh, then you can't have equal equality for all. So that is incompatible with communism. Same thing with individualism. You can't say it's good for the community because you are robbing the individual of their rights and you cannot have classes that are mandated because that keeps people into the you know, chains of bondage uh, and they have no way of being an individual. And this is essentially the, uh, the political triangle that I have come to quite love to be completely honest. Um, anyway, so he was saying that he became, he started off as a communist over here on this point. He then became, um, um, let me see here. He said, I was young, I was a communist, then an anarchist, and finally a libertarian become, before becoming an eco-fascist. Okay, so he starts off one point in communist, then goes all the way to the opposite point of individualism and being an anarchist. And then he says he was a libertarian, which is kind of in between these two. Uh, you can see, uh, you know, right here. Oh, that's a much better uh, presentation of it. You can see that there is a, um, a libertarian kind of falls in between uh, the left and the right, but more towards the anarcho-capitalism portion. And now he is a fascist, which is towards the absolutism scale. So this guy is all over the place. He has no idea what he stands for. And so that gives more credence to that this guy cannot be right-wing. And that's why he says in his own manifesto that he is not right-wing or left-wing, or he is, sure, depending on the definition. Well, he doesn't even know the definition because he doesn't understand his own politics. 
Um, anyway, I, I've spent enough time on this. I think that, um, uh, I think that you kind of get the idea of what I'm going for here. Uh, whenever you do talk about this, keep it to where what you are saying and what you are targeting cannot be used against you. Anyway, so I, I'm kind of going over on, on my time here. So I want to go over at least a little bit of what I intended this show to be before the New Zealand tragedy happened. And that is, I wanted to have some fun with the Mad Mommies here. The Mad Mommies uh, have their website, mobsdemandaction.org. Highly, highly recommend you check it out if you want some entertainment. And they went over to talk about the various myths debunking gun myths at the dinner table and here is gun myth number one and this is the only one that I'm going to cover because it kind of speaks for itself fact or myth more guns equals less crime for those of y'all who listen to Michael Cargill on come and talk it in Austin or even on Facebook uh, that's how he closes his show because it is a fact not a myth but here is the fact quote-unquote that um, Moms Demand Action has put out. If more guns made us safer in the U.S., the uh, the U.S. the U.S. would be the safest country in the world. Instead, we have a gun homicide rate of 25 times higher than other developed countries. An analysis found that the U.S. accounted for only 46 percent of the population of those countries, but accounted for over 80 percent of gun deaths. The United States has a gun violence crisis. For every two people injured with a gun, one is killed. We must do more to keep guns out of the hands of people with dangerous histories and enact strong common sense gun laws, which go hand in hand with the Second Amendment. There's no such thing as a gun law that goes hand in hand with the Second Amendment because um, every gun law is an infringement. Every single one of them. All of them. I don't care what you... Even the ones that you might like... Um, even the one that ones that people who say they're they're pro gun like gun laws are a violation of our natural right to uh, keep and bear arms. So I did some digging and I pulled up the United Nations homicide rates listed for all of the developed countries in the world and even undeveloped countries. Um, and I wanted to see because they say gun homicides. I want to see overall homicides because the means of weapons does not matter. As I highlighted earlier in the manifesto, the guy said that he had any means of weapons that he wanted, but he used firearms for the division that it would cause. So, um, you know, let's uh, take a look at this. This is a nice little graph that I made using the numbers from the UN. And what I have here is an entire graph of the homicide rate for most of the countries in the world. I'm pretty sure all of them are listed here. And you can see I highlighted the United States in red and you and I also highlighted the remaining top 10 guns, or guns per capita owned, uh, those countries with the most guns per capita. And I noticed something. Of all the top 10 firearms, or countries with the most firearm ownership, which, by the way, the U.S. has twice as many guns as number two, which is Yemen, per resident. All top 10 are very much below this average because you see uh and if you're listening to audio only you're you, you need to check out the video because you see this minor arc going up and then all of a sudden it just takes off uh over on the far right of the graph you have Honduras which has a gun homicide or I'm sorry a total homicide rate of over 60 uh 62 ish per 100,000 and then you let, see the United States and it's at like 5 um and gun ownership in Honduras is not high gun ownership in these other countries are not high because of the fact that um they are let's see here Honduras 
is has a value of 59.8 uh oh and this is el salvador is the far right one it has 62.8 uh per 100,000 homicide rate uh jamaica 46.2 these are not exactly beacons of firearms freedom uh venezuela is 45.2 per 100,000 um uh, Colombia, 41.9. You, you see the point that these are countries with very minimal gun ownership, if any, and they are seeing the to death tolls be exponentially higher than what we are seeing here in the United States and even the other remaining top nine countries for firearm ownership. And so uh, what it has to do with a lot is, is culture. Um, whenever you have a backwards third world type of nation, uh, where people are, I guess more, uh, forgive the term here, but more primitive, more, more prone to instinct. Um, yeah, violence becomes kind of a, a, an issue because of the fact that they're far more connected to what would be considered a state of nature than a state of society. Um, so it's not the number of guns in a country that has to do with whether they are more safe or less safe. Yes, more, well, it's not entirely true. Yes, the more guns people have, uh, more guns per resident people have, um, the safer the society will be. But that is not the only factor. The other factor would be uh, cultural. Like you see Iceland over here, is ranked 10th per uh, on the number of guns per resident, and they are also like one of the tiniest uh, uh, ho homicide rates. And that's a that's a cultural thing. That's not a gun thing. Um, you know, they have barely a quarter of the firearms in their country per resident, and their homicide rate is much lower. But you're getting into something that is so minuscule. You know, like I said, even our own homicide rate, I've said it before on several shows, uh, that our own homicide rate is only like 0.00054%, um, which is why we express these in victims per 100,000. Anyway, that's what I wanted to kind of get into a little bit. Um, I'll probably make another show about this, but kind of going a little bit more in depth. But that is going to do it for me today. Uh, thank you for, so much for tuning in. And, um, you know, if, if you guys have anything that you want to have covered, if you want to be a guest on the show, uh, whatever that may be, uh, by all means, shoot us a message um, and uh, we can talk about whatever you want. Uh, if you have questions, just also, same thing, shoot us an email. You can email me directly at Derek at uh, LoneStarGR.com. Um, and... Uh, you know, make sure that you're subscribed. Anyway, thank you for putting up with my rambling, and um, we're going to have some big updates coming on HB 357 here pretty soon. So until next Sunday, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo.